0: Well, good evening. evening. Isn't it good to be in church tonight? Yes, Yes? I mean, to worship together, to come together. My name is Ben. I have the privilege of being both a student director here and a vicar, which simply means I'm a pastor in training and get to share from God's word with you this evening as we gather for Ash Wednesday. And for those that are familiar or those that are not, just a, a reminder, this is a service of remembrance. It's a service that marks the beginning of a season in the church calendar called Lent. As we approach Easter, as we slow down a little bit and we contemplate our own humanity, and then we also contemplate the cross. And so we're beginning the countdown to Easter together as we gather here for Ash Wednesday. And as I was thinking about that concept that this marks the beginning of a new season in the church calendar, it made me think about countdowns that we have in our lives. I mean, see, for me in my household, just a couple weeks ago, our four year old, our oldest son, Zeke, turned five, and you better believe that there was a countdown that was happening within my house, <laughs> a four-year-old counting down the days, counting down the seconds to see family, to open presents, of course, to see what his birthday party was going to be like. I mean, so each day is an approach. I mean, for, for almost like a month out, another day closer, mark another day off, just anticipating with eager excitement, you know, what he was counting down to, his birthday, But the reality is that we're all continually counting down, aren't we? That there's a countdown that you have in your life right now. There's something that you're counting down towards. If you're a senior in high school, are you counting down to your graduation day? Be done with that. If you're going to retire here within the next months or years, are you counting down the days? Are we counting down the days to spring? right? I mean, we're counting down continually. There's something that we often look forward to that we often set out in front of us, and it changes the way that we live our day-to-day. It changes the way that we perceive time. It changes our actions. It it changes the things that we talk about. If we have something set off in the distance that we're, we're hoping for with eager anticipation and hope. But the reality is that actually all of us, all of us here, all of us that are watching online, and really all humanity has a countdown. Did you know that? We all have a countdown in our lives that's actually the same. And it comes from scripture, from the verse in Genesis uh, 3.19, where God says to Adam, he says, by the sweat of your brow, by the work that you're going to do, you're going to eat food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken from dust you are, and to dust you will return. It's not an exciting countdown necessarily, is it? God telling Adam, this is, this is following Adam and Eve. They, they sinned, they, they were created, everything was good. They sinned against God. God approaches them. He, he shares with them now the curses that you're going to live under. Okay, Satan, you're going to live under this curse. Eve, you're going to live under this curse. And all of humanity, guess what? It's going to be tough while you're alive, and you're going to die. And there you go. That's the good news, right? But that's the countdown that we all live in. And we don't always have that perspective, do we? That we, we can live our day-to-day. We can live, you know, week in and week out and year after year and maybe not always be thinking about our own humanity, about our frailty, about that things will eventually fail. And it's not really sometimes until we come into close contact when, when these bodies of ours begin to break down and when they begin to fail. I find it interesting that there's actually a psalmist who, while praying to God, actually actually asks God to remind him of his frailty. He calls out in Psalm 39, verse four, he says, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered and how fleeting my life is. Has anybody prayed this prayer this last week? (laughs) It's interesting, isn't it? Like, so he's, he's calling out to God, God, remind me. Remind me that I, I'm, I'm just a human being. I'm, I'm formed from the dust and I know that I'm gonna go back to the dust. Why would he ask a question like this? Why would he ask God to bring that to mind, his own humanity, his own frailty, his own weakness? And he goes on in, in verse five, he says, you have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath that it's fleeting, and sometimes it doesn't feel that way, does it? Sometimes it feels like the days are long, but the years are short. And here, in, in the, in, before God, here the psalmist is recognizing before God, wow, my life is just a vapor. It is simply a breath, and it is going to fade very quickly. But there's something that happens with that. When, when you come to terms with the fact that this life does go by very quickly, when you really think about it. It raises that question now, so now if that's my ultimate countdown. There is a day and I don't know when it's gonna be. For some it'll be sooner, for others it'll be later, we don't know when God's gonna call us home. But then it raises the question, if that's our countdown, then what can we do, not just to simply count those days, but what can we do to make those days count? What, what, what can we do? I can open that up. What can you do to make your days count here in this life? You can serve, that's a wonderful answer. You can share Christ. You can eat a salad. Maybe you get a couple more days, take your fish oil. (laughs) We can try hard when we can serve God, and those are most certainly the right answers. And, And there's lots of other things that we try to do, try to make the most of our days, try to be productive, try to be helpful, try to spend time with our family. I mean, we can prioritize those things. So let me ask you this then. How have the last 60 days been for you in, the, in the regards to that? With that countdown in mind, you have a countdown, how, how's it going in the last 60 days? See, 60 days ago actually was New Year's Day. And so for those of you out there that are the New Year's resolution folks, how are you doing? <laughs> We're two months in. Are, did you, are you, is anyone still going strong? You're reading your Bible, you're, you're sleeping more, you're exercising. The reality is not only is our time here short, but we're weak. We can, we can try to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps we can make these commitments, but oftentimes life gets in the way because the reality is that there, there are different seasons of our life, that we can try to get excited and motivated and wanting to move forward in a fresh new direction, and we, we do so with vigor, but then all of a sudden somebody gets sick. Something hits and all of a sudden the finances aren't there anymore. Seasons of life happen. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we're reminded that there is a season for everything. For everything there is a season, a time for every matter under heaven. There's a time to be born, and right here. There's a time to die. There's a time to plant, there's a time to pluck up what is planted. There's a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up. There is a time when it is appropriate to weep and there is a time to laugh. There's a time that we mourn and a time to dance. There's a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. I'm just going to pause. That's an interesting one. I looked into it. There's no real clear direction. Is anybody gathering stones right now? casting them away. It could mean that you're actually, armies are breaking down other walls in fortified cities or gathering and building things up, but not total clarity on that one. But there's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sew, a time to keep silence. If anyone was questioned, you can tell your kids that, parents, where it's right there. I might remind my boys. And there is a time to speak and a time to love and a time to hate. A time for war. Is that appropriate? There's a time for war. Set aside, there are seasons and times for war. But also there are times for peace. That we can have that perspective of our life and we can keep in mind that, yes, we are just fleeting shadows. We are going to pass. And we want to make the most of each day, but seasons come and seasons go. So no matter what we do, We might get pulled into a different season and it might not be the right time to pursue whatever that may be. Let me share with you just a little example of what I mean. You see, uh, now I have three young boys, a five-year-old, a two-and-a-half-year-old, and a a seven-month-old. There was a season of my life that is now far gone where I used to go to the gym. (laughs) My wife and I, when we were first married and living together in St. Louis, we found a great deal of community and camaraderie and enjoyment by going to a CrossFit gym together. We did that like five days a week. We would go do class for an hour. We would then hang out with friends afterwards. The whole thing would be two hours every evening. We'd be able to go out with these friends and still work full-time jobs. It was amazing. We had free time. And that was a season. That was a time. And if I was to try to function in that exact same way, and each evening I get off work and I just tell Stephanie, hey, I'm going to the gym for a couple hours, that wouldn't work, would it? It was a season, it was a time where I was able to prioritize things in a different way. It was also interesting about that season of our life that I, I just find really curious. Experiencing that type of exercise. You know the number one tool, the number one piece of equipment in a gym like that? It's a clock. Is a clock counting down. If you want to get the most out of somebody, if you want to get the most out of yourself, set a clock and compete against it. And if whoever created that and came up with that concept of competing against the clock, they knew what they were doing. I mean, just think about it. I mean, every record that was broken from the four-minute mile to the two-minute marathon or two-hour marathon, whatever it may be, those things wouldn't have happened unless there was a clock set on them, right? It is helpful to try to be productive and to produce as much as possible. But that isn't all there is to it because even when we do that, it goes on in Ecclesiastes and tells us, with all of our work, what's going to come of it. And he says, I said in my heart, with regard to the children of man, that's all of humanity, that God is testing them. He wants to see what they can do, and that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They have all the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from dust, and all to dust, or, and and to dust all return. These words jumped out to me. For all that we do, and if you read Ecclesiastes, it's not necessarily the most cheery book of the Bible, but it but is sobering and, and helpful to remind us that all of our effort, all that we try to produce and all that we try to pour out for ourselves, is simply fleeting. And if that is ultimately all that we live for, is to to try to produce, to try to gather wealth, to try to build a family, if that ultimately is what we're living for, that we are no different than God's other created creatures, other created beasts, that we are the same as them, and then when we pass, we also pass in the same way, that there is no hope in that type of passing, that we're going to die, and that all is vanity. Reality is that death comes for all of us and that we have to look at it this way, that death isn't some sort of disease to be cured. There's no cure for death. There isn't a pill to be taken, there isn't a procedure, there isn't something that we can do to fix it, but rather this, what scripture tells us is that it's not a disease to be cured, but it's a debt that needs to be paid. You see, the death that we are all facing, that, that count on that clock that is counting down for each and every one of us, has been set into motion Not necessarily because that's just the way things are, but it's because of sin. It says very clearly in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages. Wages are earned, aren't they? You get a paycheck because you do a job, don't you? The wages, what we have earned, our earnings that are going to be paid back to us, it's death. The original original sin from Adam and Eve, but then your sin, my sin, your sin, brings about death in your life. The death of your own mental well-being, your spiritual well-being, your emotional well-being. You can even see things begin to die as sin takes reign in your life, doesn't it? That there is a slow death that begins to happen and ultimately that the sin in our life leads to our death. And so what are we supposed to do with that? How, where, where is there hope in this? Psalm 49 says, truly no man can ransom. No man can um, uh, ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. That he should live on forever and never see the pit. Everyone is going to die. And here's the reality that there's no one not Bill Gates, not Elon Musk, not anyone has enough finance, enough wealth, enough pull, enough power to ransom anybody else's life, let alone their own life. There's nothing they could do. They have no ability, we have no ability whatsoever to ransom or to buy back our own life because it says it is too costly. But we try to, do you realize that? Here, just a couple years ago, the anti-aging market here in the U.S., or actually, I'm sorry, in the world was actually $58.5 billion. In in 10 years, they're estimating that it's actually going to grow all the way to $421.4 billion that people want, pills, potions, procedures, ways to make the clock go backwards, right? To get years back. And there's even a school of thought out there, did you know? that we're getting so far advanced with technology that pretty soon we'll be able to upload our consciousness to a computer, and then you can live on forever. And I'm sorry to break it to them, but if we go to God's word, which I'm gonna trust over any tech whiz, is that they are dust. And I don't know if I wanna live inside a circuit board for the rest of eternity, I think I'd rather die. But there's this concept and people pursue that. There's a reason they do that because there's eternity that's been placed in their heart. That there's a longing to want to live it and they recognize this, that things break down. We, get, we become weak, we become feeble, we become victim to the sin and break, the breaking in our life that our bodies are going to break down. That things are not perfect anymore. And then Psalm 39 it reminds us again, too, that we are merely moving shadows. And all our busy rushing ends in nothing. is that interesting? They were busy back then. We thought it was just us. They were busy, and not, it ends in nothing. We heap up wealth, not knowing we're going to spend it. And so, Lord, where do I put my hope? My only hope is in you the only place that we can put our hope. It's not in our wealth, it's not in our effort, it's not in busy rushing around, it's not in some sort of anti-aging pill or potion or uploading your brain into a laptop. There's no hope to be found there, but our only hope can be found in God and found in Jesus because he did this for us. In Hebrews 2, it says, because God's children are human beings, made of flesh and blood, made of dust, Given God's breath, the Son, Jesus, also became flesh and blood. Didn't merely decide that I'm going to, to speak forgiveness over you, but I'm going to choose for my Son to step out of eternity and step off of his throne. Jesus made the decision that he is going to put on flesh and blood and become dust in the same way that we are dust. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. And that's good news for us, that we have been set free by his work, by what he has done, by Jesus making that decision to come to us in flesh and blood and to break the chains of death for us, that we could be set free and that this, on top of that, we don't have to fear it anymore. We don't have to be fearful of death because it is going to come, but we don't have to look at it and be fearful of it. And the way that he did this is through this. As far as the east is from the west, so does he remove our transgressions from us. From the east to the west, the sin, the sin that you and I have committed that has earned us, that has given us the wage of death, has now been set aside, has been cast away from his presence. And when he looks at you and when he looks at me, he doesn't see that anymore. He doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see your secret sin that lives in your life and lives in your heart through your actions, your words, your deeds, whatever it may be. He set those things aside. And so, again, knowing that full well, that through the goodness of Jesus and what he's done, we ask this question again. So, how do we make our days count? How do you make your days count? Not just to be productive and not just to be helpful. Well, it it actually starts this way. It starts by recognizing this, that Jesus has made your life count and that outside of him, it sounds harsh, but outside of Jesus, it doesn't count. It's a vapor. It passes and there's not going to be much meaning left in it because we're all going to be forgotten and we'll be separated from him. But the good news is that just as the wages of sin are death, The wages of sin or death, here it is. The wages of our good works, gifts of eternal life, right? No. The free gift, the free gift that you or I did absolutely nothing to earn, simply needing to be received, the free gift that he died for, that he bled for, which is free to us but was costly to him, That now is our eternal life in Christ Jesus. That he offers that to you freely. That he offers that to you daily. That is the confidence that you and I can now have knowing the clock is counting down. Your days are going to pass. My days are going to pass. And there is only one place you can put your hope. Put it in the Lord, the one who is offering it to you freely. No conditions, no strings attached. And he's handing it to you. And all you have to do is simply receive it. And receiving it, we can now know this. It says in Hebrews 10, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence, that you now can have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body, the body that he sacrificed for us, the life he sacrificed for us. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. We couldn't. We couldn't take a step closer to God. We didn't belong anywhere in his presence outside of what Jesus has done to us because we're unholy, unclean, sinful beings. But now we can draw near to the presence of God with sincere hearts and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from the guilt, the guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. And that you need to hear this. Someone needs to hear that you're clean. You receive that free gift of Jesus. You receive his sacrifice. You recognize what he's done for you, what he has done for you on the cross and through his resurrection. You are clean of all sin, not just 98.9% of it and that there's still this other stuff that's living in your past that you really can't forgive yourself of. God forgives you of that as well. You are totally clean in his presence, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done. And because of that, we can hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. That we get to hang on to this and have confidence. That as you head into this season counting down Easter and throughout the rest of your life, that we get to hang on to that encouragement and that confidence unswervingly, knowing that there's nothing that's going to shift that. There's nothing that's going to change that because he's unchanging and his promises are unchanging. And that because of that, now as a community of believers together, we get to spur one another on because seasons come and seasons go and there's a need to spur one another on because there are seasons where you need community. And it does become difficult, and we feel the weight of sin in our life. But ultimately, we have our eyes set that there is a day approaching. There is a day approaching for each of us where death is going to come. We're going to pass. But there is also a day approaching when Jesus is going to return, and all things will be new. And these feeble, weak bodies are going to be glorified. They're going to be strengthened. They're going to be unlike anything that we could imagine, and we will be in his presence. And as we set our eyes on that, the countdown to death no longer brings about thoughts of fear and anxiety for us, but they become hopeful that we can set aside these things now and we don't have to worry about disease and sickness and sin here in our life, but it's something we can set our eyes on and be encouraged with. So I want to leave you with this, these three things that tonight, if you remember, to to, to remember As we gather here and as you go through this season, remember, remember your brokenness. Remember that there is a countdown to your death. It's good and right to remember that. But also remember this, that you have no need to fear it because he died for you and that through his death you will live. And knowing that and knowing full well that because of Jesus, who he is and what he's done, you can now approach God with confidence and you can repent and you can turn and you can no longer live the same, uh, the same life of sin that you've been living and you can step forward in newness of life even here today and repent and walk with him. And with that, you're able to receive not work for, not labor, not try to earn any sort of a righteousness of your own, but simply receive the free gift of God and his grace. As we're going to be able to do this evening as we gather and around the Lord's table and we get to experience in a real, intangible way the goodness of God through his body and blood, the forgiveness of our sins. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this opportunity to gather, to worship, and God, to remember. God, to be reminded of our own weakness. When we face weakness, that we know that you're strong. God, when we know that we're sinful, we know that you're righteous. God, and that what we simply need to do is come before you to repent and to receive the free gift of grace that you are offering to each of us. God, let us live lives with our eyes set on eternity, knowing that our days here are numbered, God, and that we do want to make these days matter, and the only way that we can make them matter is by living them for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.